Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. A number of years ago in Scotland, a farmer was out tending his field and in doing so, <clears throat> heard some desperate cries of, of what he thought to be a young boy <clears throat> just over the hill. And so he drops what he's doing, drops his farm implements, heads over the hill and finds indeed a young boy in a, in a, in a bog, in a mud pit, waist deep. And he is sinking with every cry and with every struggle to try and get out, sinking further. And will the farmer goes and retrieves some ropes, ties the loop in the rope, throws the loop over to the boy. boy gets it, and the farmer pulls him to safety. Goes about his business. The boy goes home. The farmer goes back to his farm, goes about his business. Well, the next day, a, a nobleman pulls up at his farm in a, in a very ornate uh, horse-drawn carriage. Gets out and says, uh, are you the farmer who went and saved the boy yesterday? He said, well, yes, I am. He said, well, that boy was my son. He said, I'm here to reward you for saving his life. And the farmer says, I don't need a reward for doing what's right. I was just there at the, at the right moment. I'm glad I heard him cry and heard him call out. And so he refused any kind of compensation. <clears throat> and being pretty insistent, the nobleman said, well, do you have a son yourself? He said, well, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. He said, well, I'd like to pay for your son's education wherever he wants to go to school. And so as time went on, this son grew up and went to school, and the nobleman, true to his word, sent this young lad to school and sent him to college. And he studied at St. Mary's School of Medicine in London and graduated with honors there and went into research after that. In fact, uh, this farmer's boy's, uh, uh, young, uh, young farmer's boy's name was Sir Alexander Fleming. He was the inventor of penicillin. Well, several years passed, and both of these, these boys grew, and the, the young boy that was pulled from the bog, who was saved by the farmer, grew up to develop a severe case of pneumonia. That case of pneumonia was cured by the penicillin that Sir Alexander had discovered. And um, that young boy who was pulled from the bog's name was Sir Winston Churchill. All that to say, little things can have a ripple effect in people's lives over and over and over again for generation to generation. It's the smaller things, it's the, it's the oftentimes lesser seen, lesser known things that God will use over and over and over again to, to demonstrate the things he wants to demonstrate, his love, his mercy, all the things that he wants us to see. And I think these two, these two quick parables um, about mustard, the mustard seed and the yeast are about those very things. They're about... The significance of the little and God making much out of the little. He does that over and over and over again. And I think he uses these two stories in two slightly different contexts, although they're very similar. And he tells these stories back to back. In fact, most of the parables that he's telling in Matthew 13, he told at a sitting, at one sitting. Probably either taking a full morning to do so or a full afternoon to do so. But telling each of these parables to to illustrate, here's what the kingdom of God is. And as I've shared with you, Walking through these parables, it comes from the word, the parable comes from the, from the original Greek word parabolu, which we get our word parabolic from, multifaceted. And, and he's telling these stories to reveal deeper uh, kingdom truths about uh, using everyday ordinary things to reveal kingdom truths about those things. So 
Let's look at the seed and then the yeast together and see, uh, see what we can glean from these two things. Let's look at this text together in Matthew 13, verses 31 to 35 together. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 18 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without, without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken of the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Well, a couple of things quickly uh, about the seed and about the yeast. The seed, first of all, is a picture of vision. It's a picture of vision. Look at what he says in verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted, planted in his field. He planted this mustard seed in his field. He didn't plant it in a pot. He didn't plant it in a small container. Why? Because this farmer knew the mustard seed would grow to be a fairly large tree or, or a decent sized tree enough for the birds to perch in its wings. He knew it needed space. He knew it would grow bigger than, than, than a, a small plant that would grow in a pot or in a or in a small setting. So he takes this and plants it in its field. Why? Because he had had experience with this seed before. He had had experience in seeing a mustard tree grow from such a small seed. He had the power of having been there before and having enough, enough vision to see how much space this seed and, and this tree would need to grow. And our faith can and will be used like that if we'll as, see it as a seed that grows over time, over, over, over struggle, over experience, over joy, over pain, over loss. And it grows to become the thing that God designed it to be that it would never have become in ease. It never would have become that in, 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 in blessing. It never would have become that in, 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 in a place of safety, in a place that's soft, in a place that's... Uh, it, it becomes what it becomes. Our faith becomes what it becomes as a result of hard places. So this farmer knew that the, what the tree would become because of what it had already done, what, it, what, what had already been seen, what he had already experienced before. Um, and we'll never become what God wants us to become until we can first see what he's already done and what he's up to. He's doing something in our lives all the time. He's up to something. As I've said before, and I'll say again till I die, I want you to get this. A believer can throw fate out the window. Happenstance, chance, those things don't apply to someone the Holy Spirit resides in and is at work in all the time through everything. So if there's design to things in life, whether God directly caused them or whether he allowed them, if there's design to it, then there's plan to it. If there's plan to it, then we need to be forward-thinking enough to realize there's, there's, a, there's a tomorrow to this story. There's a reason for what I'm going through today. There's a reason for this conversation, this experience, this loss, this suffering, this pain. There's a reason for that that's bigger tomorrow than I can see today. We've got to live with a sense of vision to see that. How do we do, how do, we do that? We've seen what God has done in the past and believe that he is up to something today that is about tomorrow. Scripture is full of those kind of stories over and over and over in Paul's life, in the prophet's life, in Abraham's life. And what God had done in the past, what he's up to today is about something that he's going to do tomorrow. It takes a little vision to see that. It takes, it takes looking beyond what is convenient, what is easy, what is safe for us to see that. That's the power of vision. We've got to be able to see what God could make of us, what we, what we could, could become. And in fact, even better, from where we've been or what we could have been apart from God's grace. Can you get a picture of that? Of, of, of Apart from the grace of God, where would your life have been? What would you have turned out to be? Where would you be this morning, apart from the grace of God? So what he has done 
And what he is doing is about what he's going to do. There's no accident to anything, any, any, any part of this process. And it takes a little vision to see that. It takes looking beyond our present circumstances today to see that God's up to something tomorrow that's bigger than just what's going on today. I need to get that. If I do, it charges the batteries in my, in my otherwise spent and, and sometimes weary soul today from walking through a hard place to say, God's up to something tomorrow. He's up to something the day after that and the day after that. I need to see that today in order to make it through today. If I can, that's living with vision. And, and, and this, this farmer, this seed planter had enough vision to give this tree space. Uh, and, and, and there's a great lesson in that for you and I. Secondly, though, the seed is not only a picture of vision, it's a picture of magnification. Look at verse 32. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can perch in its branches. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, he says, it becomes a tree. It becomes a tree. Um, you would expect, I mean, if, if you grew up, grew up around, around oak trees, you, you've seen the size of acorns. And acorns are pre- pretty large things. In fact, they're large enough to, to fight with because we used to fight with them as kids. We had two, two oak trees in our, in our yard as we grew up, and, and we used to throw them at each other and play army with them. In fact, threw them at cars. Often, got in trouble a few times for doing that. But anyway, we, we would use them as weapons. I mean, the, and, and they're pretty, some, some of them are pretty good size. They can be maybe an inch in diameter. You would expect a big tree from something that big. Not from a mustard seed. A mustard seed is smaller than your pinky nail, much smaller. In fact, many, many of them are about an eighth inch in diameter, a mustard seed is. Yet, grows to be a big tree. You see this magnification taking place, and it's a picture of how God takes the small and makes something significant, makes something larger, and uses it in a, in a larger way than we otherwise believe he would. Here's what I want you to see, though, about magnification. The outcomes of our life often follow the expectations of our life. If we expect little, you know what we're going to get? Little. If we expect God to do something significant, God's going to be more likely to do something significant in our life. Why? Because our expectations have risen. Why, why have they risen? Because of what we just talked about a minute ago in the fact that we've seen, we, we live with enough vision to see God's been up to something here. Here's what this meant today and what's going on today means something for tomorrow. If we can see God is in a, is in a part of process with us, so that nothing happens by accidents or by happenstance in our life, we can live with a sense of vision. We start to get an idea, God can magnify this. He can make this bigger than what I see it to be, make the significance of this conversation, this loss, this hurt, this pain, this joy, this blessing. He can use all these things in a mixture of my life to make it bigger and have a greater ripple effect out of my life, my witness, my relationships, my influence than I ever dreamed that could be possible. So we have to have greater expectations to see greater outcomes. Why is that the case? Because, or why is it difficult to do? Because we oftentimes see what we want to see. You and I see the things we want to see or the things that are more predictable for us, the things that are safer for us. I, I want God to work in my life. I just don't want him to do anything radical. I mean, I want God to, I want him to have the freedom, but I don't want him to have enough freedom to call me to, to go over here or move over here or, or quit my job or, or serve, leave, serve in the mission field or go into the ministry or, or talk to him about my faith. I want him to do something significant in my life, but just not that significant. You see, our expectations are often followed by what God ends up doing. And if our expectations grow, we'd see God do some bigger things in our life. That's how magnification works. Um, what we normally see is not what God has for us most of the time. We have to look deeper and further to see. That's really what, what vision is. Vision is seeing things before people see them and seeing things further than people see them. 
And when we, when we can learn to look at our walk with Christ like that, we'll start to see He can make this bigger than I've ever dreamed. He can make my life have more influence, have a greater ripple effect, can magnify the small in me to be significant not only in me, but maybe in someone else. Maybe in my kids, maybe in my friends, people I work with. Uh, Paul puts this another way in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or even imagine, he says. That's what magnification is. That's what the magnifier is. He takes immeasurably more than our mind, than our finite human mind can conceive to say, I can make something eternal out of this mess. This mess today, this mistake you've made, this issue with her, with her, this relationship that's broken, I can take it and make something eternal out of it. If you'll trust me, if you'll walk with me, if you'll see that I'm up to something here bigger than just you and bigger than just today. And he always is. He always is. It's never about just today, never about just these present circumstances. It's a picture of magnification. The seed is about vision and about magnification. The yeast. The yeast is, first of all, a picture of influence. Look at the first part of verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 18 pounds of flour. She mixed into about 18 pounds of flour is a lot of flour. I don't cook very well. In fact, I make a mean grilled cheese sandwich, but that's, that's about all I can... But 18 pounds of flour, that's a lot of bread. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of flour. And, and from what I'm told or from what I've read, it takes just a little bit of yeast, just a small amount of yeast to make that flour rise, to make it do what it was designed to do. She knew that. She knew that a little yeast would be effective in making the, 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 the dough rise or the flour rise. Like this man who had planted seed, she had been there before. I mean, this wasn't this first lady's first day in the kitchen. She realized that just a little yeast would, would measure out and bring about the, the desired effect in 18, 18 pounds of flour. A track record of God's influence in us, a track record of faith, of, of faith more or less, should in turn bring about an influential life. The yeast influenced this dough in a way that by itself, standing alone, you say, there's no way this is possible. Yet when it's, when it's mixed in, it, it brings about its desired effect because it works its way through the rest of the flour, the rest of the dough. The, the influence works that same way. If we can see what God has done, and the potential of what he can do, we'll see ourselves as a person of influence. And we always think, that's somebody else. That's my dad. It's my grandmother. It's somebody who knew more scripture than I did. Somebody who had a more intimate walk with Christ than I did. Someone who's deeper in their faith than I was and I will ever be. That's the person of influence. No. He says the person of influence is the person you would least expect. Mary was the least expected person to bring birth to Christ. Peter was the least expected disciple to build the church around the, the people you would least expect are the very people that he picks. These are the people of influence. What, is it, what should that say to us? It should say that influence is for all of us to bear, for all of us to bring to light. Why? Because all of us have a, have, have a sphere of influence. I've shared with you before that most funeral directors will say, on average, nationwide, about 200 people show up on average to a funeral service or to sign someone's book or, or to pay their respects to someone who's died. Your sphere of influence is probably at least 200 people, if that's true, and, and for, probably for many of you is far greater than that. What, has that sphere been, what, what does that sphere of influence, yours, know about you, about your faith, about where you stand, about the things you believe, about the things you hold dear, about your priorities, the things that, that have influenced you? Um, we all have it, you know, whether we believe it or not. We all have it, and the sooner we recognize it, the sooner we can maximize the things God wants to do with us. That's where this ripple effect comes in. That's where the magnification comes in. God can take my small influence and ripple it and make it 
affect this person's life, and this person knows another 200, and affect this person's life, and this person knows another 200. And, and before you know it, the influence, the ripple effect of, of one story of how God's changed me, or what He's done in my life, ripples into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and sometimes even thousands of lives. It started with 12. What you and I are experiencing today, sitting in this church, in this building, worshiping God, looking at His Word, fellowshiping each other, started with 12 guys who believed something deeply enough to move with it. And those 12 changed the world. And millions will have come to know Christ and will because of the influence of those 12. Uh, and it's, it's multi-generational. It's, it, 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 you are today a product of what what you, of how you were raised, whether that's good or bad, whether you agree with that, like that or not. I have, I make no bones about it, I've shared with you guys, I have a love for the Scripture. And that love for the Scripture I have because my mom had a love for Scripture. You know why she had a love for Scripture? Because her mom had a love for the Scripture. You know why she had a love for Scripture? Because her mom had a love for... It, it, it has a ripple effect generationally in people's lives. The influence we bring to bear, both spiritual and otherwise, is is vitally important. And the sooner we see that, the sooner we can... See, God can magnify my little small thing. He can magnify my little small experience in my little small world to affect the lives of people around me and, and, and the people around them and then the people around them. God, God can do that and He does that in miraculous ways. Yeast is a picture of influence. It's also, secondly, a picture of effort. Look at the latter part of verse 33. She, she mixed it into about 18 pounds of, fl- of flour until it worked all through the dough. So what started as dry flour eventually became dough. What, what happens in between dry flour and dough? Water and work. Adding moisture and then kneading that dough to mix all the yeast in to make sure the, le- the yeast has penetrated all of that dough. What should that say to us? Um, it says to us that a visionary, a visionary life, a life of magnification, a life of influence, never becomes anything until we start to pick it up and do something with it. There's some effort involved. I mean, we've got to work the dough. We've got to work the yeast into the dough. All these, things, all these principles, all these truths are great, but we can sit around on them and they can be great and true principles that never get applied, never get used, never get stirred. The pot never gets stirred to the extent that it starts to have an effect until we pick it up and do something with it. So there's effort involved. And he, and he speaks to the, not only this lady's vision to say, this, this cook's vision to say, it, it's just going to take this small amount to affect 18 pounds of dough, but I've got to work it. I've got to pour some water in it. And I've got to knead it. And there's some effort involved here. I don't know why we think that, that people are going to come to Jesus apart from us. They're just not. We are the vehicle. He, that he's, used in, he's used fallible and frail humans all throughout Scripture to be the vehicle by which people come to Christ. Why? Because that's the way God wants to work. That's His plan, that He and, and she come to know Him through you and me. That's how He works. Uh, just sitting around hoping that's, that's going to happen um, is not going to happen. But, what, but when we realize... Here's what God's done before, and He can do it again. Maybe the bridge between what He's done and what He can do, He wants to use me to do in my sphere of influence, in my world, among those in my life. There is that ripple effect, and and you and I need to see it. Um, Parental influence, I believe, is a lot like spiritual influence. I don't know anybody that feels, and, and you can speak up if you disagree with this, I don't know that anybody feels ready to be a parent. I don't know that anybody feels, feels you know, especially when, you, when, you're, when it's time to come home. I mean, in, in the hospital, everything's safe. I mean, the doctors and nurses, they know what they're doing. But when it's time to take that little baby home and it comes into your house under your roof, under your roof, then you start to, if, you, if you're human at all and breathing, you start to get a little, whoa, <laughs> do I know what I'm doing here? 
am I going to mess this up to the degree that I see? I, I need? So, you know, as stories are told, um, in fact, there was a story in yesterday's paper about some lady, I can't remember the na- her name, she writes in the Faith and Family section regularly, talked about bringing her son home, and she said, you know, uh, we were just, we didn't know what the, what, what the flop we were doing, and so we, we talked to the, whatever the pediatrician said, and whatever my mom said, that's what I did, because I didn't know what I was doing. She said, kids today, they have so many other resources to, to learn parenting skills and tips of, of how to raise kids, but she said, we, we didn't know what we were doing, and all we knew to do when we, was when we failed, not to do that anymore, not to try that again. And so, there's none of us feel equipped to be parents. We just don't. I mean, on our best day, even with the most prepared and planned family, most of us feel ill-equipped because we don't feel qualified to, to do that. And that's how, that's where the effort comes in because a parent does what they do because there's nobody else. I mean, I can go to mom or I can go to dad and say, hey, what do I need to do here? And they'll tell me what I need to do, but I've still got to take my kid back to my house and do that thing that they said. Still my responsibility. And we realize there's nobody else in the equation here but me. It's not my parents' job to raise my kids. It's not my pediatrician's job to raise my kids. Great counsel, great advice. But it's my job. And so I stand, I'm the one standing in the gap here. And it, it, win, lose, or draw, it's, it's on me. It falls on me. And spiritual influence, I think he wants us to see, is like that. It takes that, that kind of effort and that kind of work to say, hey, it's on me. I get it. I get the fact that God can do some miraculous things. He can give me vision. He can help me see that he magnifies the small and insignificant things. He can use me to be a person of influence. But then it sits sits in my lap. There's nobody else to to, to point to but me to say, he's placed the people around me. He's placed me where I am for this very day, for this very moment. And so I think the the sooner you and I realize that, that there's really, God has placed you right here for right now. I don't know whether, whether that's dawned on you regularly or at all. It dawns on me weekly. I'm going to tell you, as I stand here week after week, it dawns on me soberly and weekly that he's placed me right here for right now. And it's a little bit terrifying sometimes, to be honest with you. That should be, there should be th- this sense of, of expectancy and even some level of anxiety that forces us to lean on him as we realize we are a right here for right now person. I, or I am. I, God has placed me where he's placed me. The job you have, you don't have by accident. The people in your life are not there by accident. The family that you were born into or that you've raised or that you're raising are not there by accident. Every bit of that is the sovereign hand of God at work. Now, did all of, did he orchestrate every bit of it? No. He allowed some of it, but he orchestrated the, the rest of it. But the things that he's, that he's either caused or allowed, he's still in control of. He still wants us to, to, to bear influence and, and to see, I'm, I'm here for a reason. These circumstances are what they are for a reason. My relationships are what they are for a reason. This job or that job or this situation or, or no, no job. It's, there's a reason to this. There's design to this. What's God up to? What is he saying? What's he trying to get my attention about? These two, are, these two really, really short and, and brief parables are about a lot. He's saying, he's saying some significant things in what he's trying to get across here to say, listen, don't focus the small thing. Don't let the small thing become become more significant than it should. I'll take the little small thing and I'll use it and I'll magnify it to the degree it'll blow your mind. That's why that's why I die and take you out of this world. It would blow your mind to see the ripple effect of your life and what it will mean. We see that in George Bailey. We see that in, you know in some other. It would blow our mind to see the ripple effect of what our life would be if we could see it all. It would intimidate us. We'd crawl in a hole somewhere, scared to death. Most of us would. That's the thing that God wants to do, though. He says, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of all of that. You just be obedient. You don't, don't get frustrated in the small thing. 
Don't, don't, let, don't let it intimidate you. Don't let the enemy say, listen, nobody's, God's never going to use that. Keep that on the shelf. Wait till you know more. Wait till you're smarter. Wait till you have a little more information, a little more experience. You, you just keep that on, on autopilot there for a while. And God, God will use it eventually, but it's too small right now. It needs to grow. Your faith needs to grow. Your knowledge of Scripture needs to grow. Your experience needs to grow. Your church attendance needs to grow. Your, and all of that straight out of hell. It's, it, it's, it's, as Steve Brown said, it should smell like smoke to you. It, should, it should, should reveal itself to you to say, no, God wants to use the small today, here and now, to bring about bigger things in their lives and in my life tomorrow. Always wants to do that. That's always what he's up to. Well, what I want you to see here as we, as we close is that, first of all, the seed is about you. It's about me. And the yeast is about others. The seed is about what God is doing in us. And the yeast is about what God wants to do through us. And that's why I think he puts these two parables, these two stories, back to back to say, what I am doing in you, I also want to do through you. It's this idea of replication, of reproduction, to say, don't keep this to yourself. What I have done for you, what I am doing in you, I also want to do through you. It's by design. And this story, yours, needs to be told to someone else. Your experience, this, this instance, this, that, it needs to be told to someone else, not kept to ourselves. So, here's two questions today as we close, and we're, we're done. Or, or, or before we pray and sing again here in just a moment. First of all, and this is, this is a poignant question that every believer asks at least once in their life and probably dozens of times, what does God expect of me? What does he really expect of me? That question can be answered by the next question. And the next question is, where has God placed me? Because wherever he's placed me, that's what he expects of me. Wherever he, whatever circumstances and situations he's put me in, that's exactly where he's, he expects me to influence. That, I don't need to be looking for a new sphere of influence. I need to be looking at where God has placed me today, and that's where he wants to use me today. There, there's, there is this, as I said, there's nothing but accident. There's, God is, he has design, he has purpose, he has planned everything he does. Do we see it at the end of it all? No, we seldom do. But he does. And because of what he has done, and each of you, I know each of you in this room, and each of you has a story about what God has done. I know some of your stories, most of your stories. Here's what God has done. Here's some things he's done, in my, and he never wants to keep that to yourself. There's always design to the things God has done. Why? Because that grows our faith and, and, cause, and should cause us to squeeze the sponge out into someone else's life to where what he, what he has done in us and is now doing through us will change them. And what he's doing in them will, will affect their life and their influence to other folks. And over and over and over and over again, God does that life after life. Story after story, generation after generation. That's what he's up to. Uh, nothing, is, nothing is by happenstance. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too insignificant. And God is always up to something, even in the little things. Even in the little things. That farmer didn't know as he made the loop around that rope that he was pulling out one of the, one of the great bulwarks that would be so instrumental in defeating Hitler and, and pushing the Nazis back uh, to, to, to where they came from. He didn't know that. God did. Um, it's, it's believed that Churchill, it's, it's stated that Churchill was a believer. I don't know how open he was with his faith, but it, but it, it stated that he was. And, and that, uh, that farmer didn't know that story that day, but God did. And he knew that that small thing would have a huge impact in millions of people's lives eventually one day. He's up to something. He always has been. He always will be. He's up to it. Can we see it? Do we have enough vision to see it? And then put it into place, understanding he'll magnify it all in his time, in his way, by his design, all I need to do is work the dough. I need to get in there and add some water 
and I need to add some effort, and I, I, need, to, I need to need this to where it becomes the thing he wants it to become and influences people around me. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.